most people don't have a really good definition of what real success and prosperity is. We define success and prosperity the way that the world does versus the way that God and the kingdom does. We have an unhealthy view of what success and prosperity is in the church. And so today we're going to dismantle that myth. And we're going to dismantle the myth that you're not successful or prosperous as a son or a daughter in the kingdom of God. We're going to deal with heart issues. We're going to deal with frustrations. We're going to deal with hurts, pains, and rejection because we all go through it. But if you don't get a proper narrative of it, you're going to quit. You're going to give up and you're going to close down shop. We've been talking about buying and selling in the kingdom as ambassadors and brokers that make an interchange. And if you haven't listened to the last few messages, you're not going to overly understand what that means. So please go back and listen to the other messages. These messages build upon each other each week. Some people have gone out of business and closed up shop. There's no transaction in the kingdom transactional business in the kingdom. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Some of you may not have fully gone out of business, but you're having a going out of business sale or you're on clearance, right? You're, you've just decided for whatever reason, I'm not advancing the kingdom. I'm not gonna preach the gospel. I'm not gonna witness to others, nor am I going to do anything related to ministry, serving, giving, loving, at all. There's no kingdom advancement in your life and you've closed up shop. Now, there's a lot of reasons why people close up shop. And I want to tackle those because if we don't deal with this, then we're, we're not going to be able to properly handle the myth of a false narrative on success and prosperity. So why do people quit and why do people give up or stop interacting with kingdom business, which really is about being, the being about the father's business. Last week, we talked about eight things that define those that are about the father's business last week. And the reasons why people often aren't about the father's business or quit or decide to no longer serve the king, the kingdom, and one another is because one, we haven't made a proper payment We haven't made the proper payment. Now, you have to be careful with that term because the, the mindset is that, well, I have to earn it or work for it. That's not what I'm talking about. Every single one of us has to learn to abide with the Lord through relationship or we're going to burn out. The proper payment is relationship and intimacy. And then the proper payment to one another is owe no debt to one another except the debt to love perfectly. All the commandments are summarized in how well you love. If you could just get this one thing of how to love right, you will be defined as successful and prosperous. But so many people are going through the motions. How could I fade out, fade away, or quit? Stop abiding. Stop lean on my gift. Stop having relationship with the Lord. Stop living in the light. Go into hiding. That's the fastest way that you will burn out and you will close down for business. You'll close up shop. Second of all, you got hurt through rejection. A lot of us are going to face rejection. Jesus was rejected 
but it's what we do with that rejection. You're going to get rejected. Not everybody's going to like you. Not everybody's going to come here. Not everybody's going to like me. That's okay. You have to stay true to who you are and true to who the Father tells you to be and what he calls you to do, whether people accept you or not. But if you have a man-pleasing thing and you're constantly desirous of acceptance from others, you're going to fade out and burn up and quit. Next, you believe lies that, you were, that what you were doing was pointless and unsuccessful, which is a classic lie of the devil. The devil's constantly telling you this is pointless. What's the purpose of church? What's the purpose of the worship? What's the purpose of being a Christian? What's the purpose of preaching to others? The enemy always wants to get you disheartened and to quit, and he always does it through accusation. You're not enough. You're not good enough. You're a failure. Look at you. He's always speaking lies of failure and inadequacy, and some of you are feeling that today, and you're measuring your standard of, of adequacy and success by the wrong measuring stick. And that's why I'm teaching this. Next, instead of making trades and investments for the right reasons, you've chosen to sell your gift instead of his gift. Now, God has a gift. I'm selling that gift today. You know what the gift is? The gift is salvation and a new life in Christ. And no money can buy it, and I don't want your money. We've taught this, Isaiah 55, you can buy without money. Your money's no good here in that context. You get bread, wine, honey, milk, cheese, and kingdom provision from the Lord when you make the exchange of your heart. I'm a tradesman. Let's trade your heart for his heart. Are you following me? You got to see this. This is a revelation that if we could get this in the kingdom, our lives will be so rich. You will be rich beyond measure. This is wisdom. This has nothing to do with finances. Make the exchange. You're a tradesman. You are brokering a deal. But here's the great news. God already did his part. And that's what we've been talking about. The cross has already happened. The blood's already been shed. Salvation is already available. Everything you need is already available right now. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. You can't pay for it. You just have to make the exchange. And then to stay in it, you stay in relationship. You abide. Abide, 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 abide. Apart from me, you can do nothing. People are selling their gift everywhere. Contemporary Christian music, people are genuinely selling the gospel for profit, as so many. We've been teaching that. As so many, they're peddling the word of God for personal, selfish, financial gain. And we're slaying that myth here. Don't be that person. Don't be that church. And you know what? I'm not dogging any one person out. I'm just going to choose to keep my eyes on Christ and do what he tells me to do and love you well, and I'm not selling a gift. I'm not selling you my charisma. I'm not selling you my charm. I'm not selling you the laying on of hands. I'm not selling you a prophecy. You can't pay me. You can't buy me. You can't bribe me. None of that is going to work in my life. And it should be the same for you. This isn't about me. My life's an example, but... Your heart has to be about the Father's business. We're not selling our gift. Next, there's this desire to be recognized, prosperous, and successful. That's the spirit of the age that's constantly speaking to us to say, 
Look at what they're doing. You should do it too. Whether it's social media, whether it's YouTube, whether it's making your voice heard, whether it's to be known, it's okay to make your voice heard when you're doing it for the right reasons. But there's this constant pressure and, and desire to be valued, to be known, and to be seen in the world's eyes. And I'm gonna tell you, God entrusts the ones that die to that more than anything. And you have to say, is this enough? I used to have a hat, I lost it. I don't know where it went. It said famous enough. And that's a tough, that's a tough statement because we want to advance, we want to multiply, we want to increase. But are you enough now? And that's attention. Next, no one was buying what you were selling. It's often due to a lack of understanding and ownership of the message. The only way to own the message is to become the message. And if you're not becoming the message, nobody's gonna buy what you're selling because you don't own it. It's out of Christian duty. And you're talking out of your mouth or the side of your mouth or your rear end. You're not owning it. Own the message. You can't ride on your parents' coattails of Christianity or mine. You must know the power of God and put your faith in the power of God instead of the wisdom of man more than anything, and you must know it for yourself. Jesus must be a reality to you, and you must have a testimony of the goodness of God in your life and a remembrance of how faithful he's always been to you. And I can assure you, not one of you will be able to tell me that God hasn't been faithful to you. But we forget. We forget that God's been good. Coupled with the lies of the devil and the tension all around, then you want to quit or you want to give up. But don't, you're not quitters. Nobody's gonna buy, and sometimes that's God's divine tension. If you're a man pleaser and it's all about you, you'll never be satisfied and people are gonna always leave you and you're never gonna have real success in the kingdom of God. And numbers and a lot of people out of church don't constitute success, by the way. And finally, people have their eyes on man and his provision versus God and his provision. Instead of our eyes on Jesus, we're desperate for people's help. And we're looking for the provision from one another instead of from God. And if your eyes aren't on the Lord and your eyes are always on one another, we do need one another. I'm not negating that. Everybody, we're a body and every, every joint supplies and does its share. You all have a share to give and to do. But if our eyes aren't first on the Lord, you will always feel dissatisfied, frustrated, because it's a holy dissatisfaction. God designs it that way. These all lead to being disqualified and unsuccessful in life and in ministry. The greatest key to success is full dependency on God versus codependency on others. God does not want you to be codependent. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians 4.11. says that you would aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. So let's talk about what it means to lead a quiet life. To lead a quiet life does not mean to be a Christian hermit. Though so many of us would prefer to be a Christian hermit. Amen. Right? Especially you high introverts. 
High introvert, I got two of them sitting in the front row. High, three of them. It's so much easier to just disconnect, live a life in isolation, even with noble intentions, prayer, study of the word, I'm praying for you. But see, leading a quiet life does not mean that. Leading a quiet life does not mean being inactive. God doesn't want you inactive. Make sure you understand that. But rather, leading a quiet life refers to the inner quietness, internal rest, and peace that comes through Christ in me. It's an internal rest. It's an internal quietness. It's also slow to speak and quick to listen, but that comes from wisdom. It means that you're about the Father's business, and when you're about the Father's business, you always will lead a quiet, peaceful, restful life. But that's the tension. Why do I not feel quiet, peaceful, and restful? Because there's, there's struggles and challenges constantly in my life. Everything feels tense. So I could, this is why you can't get this scripture wrong because if you get it wrong, then what you'll do is you'll retreat and quit and say, I'm done, I can't handle it anymore. But see, God gives you the grace. That's where grace comes in. Quiet, a quiet life only comes from supernatural grace. God doesn't remove the tension, nor does he remove the trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. But trouble and tension will always be around you. That's why you can't dictate a quiet life based on isolation and retreating. You, you base a quiet life based on the internal rest and peace that comes only from the Lord. That, this is good preaching right here. You guys, I'm telling you right now, you've got to get this. And I'm, I'm owning this message because it is tense. I, I feel like I am hard-pressed on every side. Anybody else? Am I the only one or is this the whole body of Christ probably feeling this way? To lead a quiet life means to be still and know that God is good. It means to use wisdom in all you do. One great definition of leading a quiet life is stop toiling in your own strength. So anywhere you see in the Bible toil, which is a result of the curse, and also goes with the sweat of your brow. Are you working by the sweat of your brow and toiling amongst thorns and thistles? Does your whole life feel like thorns and thistles? Chances are likely you're doing it in your own strength and you're not leading a quiet life. And I know we, because here's what we say, Lord, if you take the tension away, I'll be at peace. Come on, y'all. You guys know we all say this. That's what we say. If this situation, circumstance, and, and usually number one at the top is what? Money. We all know this. So then what we do is we look at financial success as a key indicator of personal success. And now, because money's gonna buy me a quiet life. Ha! Don't you be mistaken and don't kid yourself. Seriously. So we have to stop toiling. And then finally, you need to make sure that your home life is in order. And that's probably the biggest tension because I know this, and when it's not, you get more frustrated, and when springs are popping and kids are manifesting, your marriage is, you and your wife are at each other. Suddenly, you wanna give up, you wanna quit, and you're not leading an internal, peaceful, quiet life, right? But you can do it in the midst of that. That's what I wanna tell you, is no matter what springs are popping, 
people are manifesting hardship, difficulty, adversity on all sides, there is a place in Christ and Christ in you that can enable you with his grace to lead a quiet life no matter how hard your life is. Oh, your life's hard? Okay, let's compare you to somebody. Why don't I compare you to my life or his life? Kids, sickness, hardship, money, debt, and it's all of a sudden you fall into this pit and this hole, this dark black hole where you feel like your life is so bad, but really compared to someone else, it's worse. That's why you gotta stop comparing and get your eyes on Christ. Your measuring stick is Christ. You want to compare anything in your life, compare it to Christ. Next, what, let's keep the scripture up. What does it mean to mind your own business? Can you pull that scripture back up? 1 Thessalonians 4.11. What does it mean to mind your own business? Well, let me just tell you something. If I'm your pastor and you're, a, you're our member of this church, then your business is my business. I'm not a God cop. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about seeking out sin. I don't have time for that. I got my own stuff to focus on. But my point is, if you get a sponsor in Redeemed or in a recovery, your business is your sponsor's business. If you get a pastor, pastors, these, we care about you. But there's a deeper meaning here about minding your own business. Minding your own business means you all have business to handle. Handle your business. It, it's the direct focus of stop, to stop being so concerned about everyone else's business while your own personal business is a mess. So in the context of picking out the speck out of your brother's eye, what did Jesus say? Let's deal with the plank in yours. Then once you get the plank out, you can help the other person to get the speck out of theirs, right? So it doesn't negate. You say, man, bro, don't even deal with me. You got a log in your eye. I say, okay, I'll be back. I'm going to go get with the Lord and deal with the log in my eye, and then I'm coming back for you. Because when the law gets out of mine, I'm coming to get the speck out of yours. And if I didn't overcome getting high, pornography, addiction, alcoholism, if I didn't overcome all those things, I can't come to you and help you out of it. And that's the way the kingdom works. You get healed so you can heal others. So other people's business becomes your business, but not in the context of I'm so concerned about the affairs of another while mine are in disarray. Do you understand that? God didn't let you out. And in many ways, in my own business, in my own home, you can't fix that. I'm not gonna, I can't go to bed with you at night and get up in your nightly conversations after your kids go to bed because God doesn't design it like that. What he designs is a total desperation upon him and a dependency upon him. And then, Next, I want to talk to you about this part of working with your own hands. Working with your own hands means no codependency. Let's say that together. No codependency on others. It means that I put the Lord first in all I do, and I trust him to care and provide for me. I trust God to care and provide for me. So let's talk about codependency for a minute. Codependency... I love this word codependency. This word codependency 
wasn't even coined until the 70s. And this word codependency came first from a word co-alcoholism. Then it led to chemical dependency. Almost all of AA is built on this mindset of breaking codependency. Chemical dependency and the understanding of the need for drugs and alcohol and addiction and porn and entertainment, all of that led to coining this term codependency. But it also came from an unhealthy social network of people that were enabling you or enabling the addict and and literally being overly helpful instead of actually being helpful the right way. So I'll define it for you exactly. Excessive emotional and physiological, I'm sorry, excessive emotional and physiological, Psychological is the word. I'm reading it wrong. Excessive emotional or psychological reliance on a partner. It's typically one who requires support on account of an illness or addiction. So somebody's sick, it could be mental illness, it could be a whole variety of things, or addicted, and they need support. But when giving that support instead of helping, we enable destructive behaviors. Those who are codependent actually interfere with a person's healing or recovery by overhelping them in an unhealthy way. Not only does it hinder the unhealthy person, the codependent family member or friend sacrifices their own needs by suppressing themselves emotionally, physically, and spiritually, all while attempting to control or fix someone else's problems. So not only am I... Not only am I creating greater unhealthiness in the person that is either addicted or mentally ill or immature or has all variety kinds of issues, not only am I overly giving to them, I'm sacrificing my own mental health, physical health, and spiritual health in a desire to fix them. That is an unhealthy codependent relationship. It's passive-aggressive. It's simply... Um, being nice, which I won't go into that because being nice can be a lie. It's abdicating. It's not dealing with the issues directly head on. It, there's no reality-based conversations. And I don't want us to have codependent relationships with each other, our spouses, our kids. It's unhealthy. A great, or a codependency is an imbalanced relationship. Some, that's why people are codependent with alcohol and drugs. It's imbalanced. This is going to help me. This is going to fix me. This is going to comfort me. This is going to whatever it is, and I can't live without it. One gives all while the other takes all. This is the case of addiction, but it's not just addicts. We can have unhealthy codependency issues with those who have mental health issues, those who are immature, irresponsible, or underachievers. And if I get around somebody that's an underachiever, I love you, I care for you, I'm empathetic, and I have compassion, but our job's to pull one another higher, not leave them the same. A great example of health in ministry when it comes to dependency on God versus others is the Apostle Paul. So Paul was a tent maker and had no codependency issues for others, Acts 8, 13. 
says that because he, Paul, was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for by occupation they were tent makers. So one of the things I often say to you is your job, your career is all a tent-making avenue to the greater purpose God has for you. And if you don't get that right, you're gonna put the cart before the horse. It's gonna become about career and money. Everything really about being a tent maker is ultimately the father's business is first and you have lordship first. That money is not your God or your master. Paul on many occasions expressed that he had no need of others and God would always provide for him. And it was this mindset that actually set him up for the provision from others. So he'd say things like, I have no need of you when it comes, like I don't have to have your money. And then here would come a church giving him money or somebody would give him money because his eyes were on the Lord, whether the person gave or didn't gave. Are you guys hearing this? I, I have many, many, many wealthy friends in my life and I, I never look at them different than I would look at somebody that's not wealthy. I don't have money signs in my eyes and dollar signs in my eyes. And I've even told many of them, I don't care if you ever give a dollar. I don't care about your money. I care about you. And I meant that. And some never gave and some gave. I don't care. What I care is, am I loving that person perfectly whether they give or not? Because then that sets you up for the provision from God. Are you guys hearing this? I'm telling you, God wants to provide from you for you and it comes in a lot of different ways but your eyes have to be on the Lord. Just because you work with your own hands and have a trader career to make money does not negate the need for a body. Let's say this together. Say, I am a kingdom contractor. Let me help you understand that. If you get a government contract from the federal government to build something, who pays for it? And don't tell me the taxpayer. <laughs> I know the taxpayer pays for it. <clears throat> really, it is the taxpayer, but I'm making a deeper point, is that the government, federal government pays for it. If you get a kingdom government contract from the Lord, who pays for it? God does. The problem is stewardship and trust. That can you be entrusted? And this leads to a whole nother message of how God entrusts people. He starts with fives, tens, fifties, hundreds, and it starts with your character, not hating covetousness, being able, fearing God, full of the spirit. This is how the deacons were picked. This is how the elders were picked. This is how God put people in leadership. But the point that I want you to understand is that kingdom contractors are always about the father's business and he always provides for you. His payment to build his kingdom can come in many different shapes and forms. However, it all starts with being godly. Remember, God, 1 Timothy 6.6, 6, godliness with contentment always equals great gain. So what the Lord looks at first more than anything is to be fruitful and godly. And then it builds upon from there. Make your intention in life to be godly and fruitful above all else, beloved. You're not chasing after the things of this world or wealth, success, and money based on the world's definition. It can come in a lot of different ways. See, success, God's provision to build a kingdom isn't all about money. I need your hands and feet. I need your hands and feet and your hands and feet and your mouth and your service and your care and your love for the children. 
We need children's workers desperately in this house because our children's directors keep having babies or getting pregnant. So my wife, who has her master's degree in education administration and undergrad in early childhood development is taking the reins in the short term of the children's ministry. We're revamping it with new curriculums and we got great leaders, Kathy's helping and others, and we need all hands on deck with the children's ministry. That's provision for the kingdom to build God's house. If you're interested, see my wife or email her at amber at rockcitycorpus.com. There's my little PSA. She's like, I know you were thinking I forgot to get that in there, but it fits in the word. Seriously, we need your help. We should, we should be busting at the seams. We have 80 positions in a month that need to be filled over there. So some of you are like, I don't have much money to give, but you got hands, you got a mouth, and you got feet. Walk over there and put them to work. That's what I say, amen? Wherever it is, we all have something to do and something to give. Last week, we asked these questions. If you're doing the Father's business, will it always lead to success and prosperity? The answer is yes. However, many people are like, no, why? Because we have an improper definition of success and prosperity. If you're doing the father's business, you're a success. If you're a son or a daughter, if you gave your life, let's keep it simple. When you surrendered your life to Christ, you became a success. Do you understand that? Let's, we are so warped in our thinking. It's like, oh, that's not good enough. Wait, salvation's not good enough? The gift from God is not good enough. You got, I gotta have more, 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 more. Yes, God wants you to have more, but if you don't get this understanding that you became a new creation in Christ, oh my gosh, you were, you are, and you will be. That is the definition, the ultimate definition of success. So I wanna talk about what is and isn't real prosperity real quick. How do you determine if you're truly successful in the Father's size? And are you successful and prosperous? Listen, more often than not, I battle the tension of feeling like I'm not successful and prosperous. And I know we all go through the same thing. You're not doing enough. You're not reading enough. You're not worshiping enough. You're not obedient enough. You're always worried, battling difficulties, hardships, struggles, addictions, fleshly vices. The list goes on. But stop believing these lies because I am gonna show you what it really means to be successful. The problem with an improper definition of prosperity and success is it leads to comparison, inaccurate judgments, entitlement, discontent, covetousness, greed, and a false perception of how the Father sees and feels about you. Covetous and greed, discontent, that always comes from an improper definition. And you've got to own up to say, I may not have, if you're feeling discontent and comparing yourself all the time and inadequate and frustrated, maybe you have a false definition of success and prosperity. It also negates or minimizes Jesus' teachings on humility, compassion, self-denial, and the normalcy of suffering. See, the problem is we don't have a good narrative of the normalcy of suffering. And the church has sold us a bill of lies with a prosperity gospel that says, well, if you're not financially blessed, you're not successful. And God wants you to be financially successful. So therefore, we're gonna make sure that you give more money to get there. And I hate that thing. Jesus taught on the normalcy of suffering. Any teaching that presumes material blessing and favor, that material blessing and favor are earned, 
or even deserved by God based on your giving is inaccurate. Let me say that again. Any teaching that presumes material blessings and favor are earned or even deserved by God based on your giving or even your faith are biblically inaccurate. God doesn't owe you anything. You have no, there's no entitlement. Your first and greatest gift comes from being born again and the gift of his son because he loves you. There's no entitlement. God doesn't owe me one thing. Yes, God delights in your prosperity. And he gives you the power to get wealth, but it all comes down to what the definition of biblical wealth and prosperity is. And finally, we're misguided when we have an improper understanding and interpretation of the various tensions in scripture when it comes to the contrast between prosperity and suffering. Let me just give you some of the tensions, okay? How do you reconcile being successful in the midst of what seems like constant failure? Are you all tracking with me? Does anybody some feel like I'm failing constantly? How about when you're doing your part, but you don't feel like God's doing his? Been 90 days, God. It's taking you so long. For some, it's nine years. How about when scripture seems to promise you abundance, but you're in lack? How about biblical comparisons between the rich and the poor? In general, the rich is not painted in good light in the New Testament. Why? Because the rich have a natural tendency to lean on their own strength. But when you find a wealthy man that's fully dependent on the Lord about the Father's business, you find a beautiful thing. But they're far and few between, just so that you know. How about the now but not yet? That's the everyday tension. How about this earthly life versus eternity? Man, eternity's gonna be awesome. Your reward's coming in heaven. And you're like, uh, but I'm here now and I need some breakthrough now. Is that a tension? How about the tension of the Old Testament and the New Testament? Or the tension of blessed are the poor for they shall inherit the earth. How about God says, I'll make the outcasts a strong nation. Outcasts become a strong nation. How about the life of Jesus in the cross? That's massive tension. Some of the even greater tensions come from an inaccurate belief system, which we've often been taught or we believed the lie ourselves. Posit, here's some of them. I'm gonna slay a few major religious demons right now. You may not like me after this, but that's all right. I wasn't here to be liked. Positive confession and devotion will transcend poverty and sickness. I'm all about positive confessions. I'm an eternal optimist. I live in positive light, normal. Normally, but if you think that just your positive confession is gonna get you out of, pro- of being broke, busted, and disgusted. I've watched people confess, confess and profess and their life is a mess. And it doesn't change. 
Though I believe we should remain positive and optimistic in our confessions, I don't believe we should lie, pretend, fake it till you make it, or live a false reality. Our confession in the healing and delivering power of God should remain strong, regardless of what the natural circumstance looks like. However, you should not be ignorant of the various outcomes based on Scripture and the free will of man to choose rightly. You can thwart a destiny. You can make choices and decisions that even though God is good and he's always good and he's always for you and he's the Lord, you can choose to do things that negate and thwart and I don't care how much you confess it. If I down a bottle of Jack and get on SPID and race over the bridge at 100 miles an hour with my eyes closed or half open and I can confess Jesus the whole way while I'm driving up the JFK and off the edge I go to my death. How about this one? If I'm impoverished, poor, broke, bust, and disgusted, I can imagine and reach for a better financial future and position in my lifestyle through simply giving more. And though this can be true at times, you should always give as a sacrifice. I want you to understand that. It's not an absolute. This is not an absolute. Maybe it was for the widow who gave her last might, but what about the young rich ruler, the young rich man? That's the tension. So it's not an absolute. Like, listen, I know you can't pay your electricity bill right now. The answer is give your last, give your money for your electricity bill here. And then tomorrow your electricity bill gets shut off, your electricity gets shut off, and then you're calling me asking me for help to pay the electricity bill. It's not an absolute. Sometimes pay the electricity bill. Other times, make the sacrifice. The point I'm trying to make is we think, we have this mindset with God that I earned it, deserved it, and gave my way out of it. And I, some, I understand this is hard for some people. And I'm, I think y'all should give. I think y'all should make sacrifices. But I'm not gonna sell you a bill of goods that you can just give your way out of it. Maybe stewardship. Maybe hard work. Maybe trust. Because look, you can give your money and still not trust God. Am I right? We're trusting in the giving. And so then God owns, owes me. So then you gave and you gave and you gave and you gave. And then there's manipulative ministries out there that, that prey on the poor and prey on the broken with a promise of financial success and prosperity if you'll just give more. All right, well, there I said that. Now we can move to the next thing. <laughs> Remember that true heavenly wisdom is more valuable than earthly riches and wealth. Proverbs 8, 11, wisdom's better than rubies and all things that one may desire cannot be compared with her. You should know that being rich or poor has its downfalls on either side. We should trust God to give us just what we need when we need it He's, our, he's your provider, Proverbs 37 through 9. Two things I request of you, and please, Lord, don't deprive me of this before I die. Verse 8, remove falsehood and lies from me. That's the number one. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me. 
lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. And some of y'all is like, oh, I already know. If I just won the lottery, I'd never deny God. You don't know that, but God knows better. And I don't want you to live in poverty either because then you find yourself, extreme poverty finds yourself in a position of manipulating in your heart and you may not actually steal, but you're stealing spiritually or mentally from someone else. How about the heart of Solomon when God showed up, said, ask me anything you want. Solomon's like, I want wisdom. And I'll leave you with this. Joshua 1, 7, and 8 gives the best definition of real success and prosperity. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Don't turn to the left or the right hand that you may what? Prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night that you would observe to do according to all that's written in it. For then you will, look at this, both words are in this scripture. Then you will be prosperous and you'll have success. And we're gonna look at the Hebrew definition of these words in a second. Proverbs 35, 27, let them shout for joy and be glad who favor my righteous cause, father's business, and let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Let me just tell you right now, the Lord wants you to be prosperous according to his design. The Hebrew understanding of success means to be wise, prudent, have understanding and insight, to comprehend, instruct, become an expert, and to live and act circumspectly. It has nothing to do with money. Fame, notoriety, recognition, it means you're wise. You can help others. You understand God's word. You understand his ways. You have a thesaurus of understandings inside of you. You have a treasure chest inside of you. And you've become an expert in the heart and understanding the heart of God and loving perfectly. And now it affects how you live. Hence, in that context, I'm successful. And sometimes it's day to day. And then finally, prosperity. To be prosperous means you're gonna break out mightily. It means you're gonna advance and, and make progress. It's different than the world's definition, which is based on material possessions and flourishing financially. So what happens is, is when you get born again, your identity makes you success and now you broke out of your old life and you're breaking into his new life. It means that you're always being made new. God always wants you to break out. Don't turn to the left or right and meditate on the word. These scriptures, the context of success and prosperity is be obedient, follow my voice, don't turn to the left or right, meditate on God's word day and night, and in everything you do, you'll be successful and prosperous. And it doesn't have anything to do with finances because if you're gonna base it on finances, then suddenly you're gonna fall in deception, discontent with somebody else, or the finances becomes your master. Do I want you to make more money? Do we need more money for the build out? Would I like to have more money to pay off debt? Do I want you to pay off debt? This, I'm not telling you that I don't want you to have the finances. What I'm telling you is get the main thing, the main thing and use it for the right reasons when it come, comes and do not define your success and prosperity based on material possessions and wealth. And the next thing is you can't define your, your success and prosperity based on works. 
You base it on who you are and your identity. There's no greater success and prosperity that comes outside of just being a son and a daughter. That's all I got for you. Listen, I'm going to tell you guys something. I think the Lord has me on this series for a reason because there's some major shifting about to happen. And, if, and everybody say, what if? You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't know what God has in store for you. All I know is I want to be found faithful with whatever comes. And the only way to be found faithful with what's coming is to be found faithful with what you have now. So ask yourself, am I being faithful? Am I being a good steward? Because every one of us wants more, but the more comes from being found faithful with what you have now. What's in your hand? If you got a mouth, you know, I, I used to buy disability policies all the time. I was sold disability policies when I was making 180000 a year in the corporate world. And then I had this revelation. If I can talk, I can work. I stopped buying the disability policy. Every one of you has something to give. And if you are born again, ask your, say, am I born again? Yes, I am. Then I'm a success. And I'll be prosperous. I'm going to break out. You got to break out of where you're at. You're never stuck. You're never stuck, all right? Let's all stand. All right, I'm gonna pray for you guys. Just close your eyes for a moment. Why don't you put your hands out in front of you in a receiving position and just ponder what I'm gonna say for a moment. You are a success when you're a son and a daughter. God is the one that gives you the ability. You can't do it in your own strength. No more toiling, no more striving. Lord, forgive us for having an unhealthy definition of success and prosperity. Why don't you just say, I am enough. The devil's a liar. He doesn't want you to believe that. I am enough. And I'm famous enough. It has nothing to do with popularity. It has everything to do with our identity. Lord, I thank you that everybody here that's hurting, broken, distant, or struggling can find comfort in you. And if you don't know the Lord today, surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Give your heart up for his heart. Repent. Just tell him, Lord, I repent. I've been chasing other lovers. I've been chasing after pleasures of this world. Have mercy, God. Have mercy. And Lord, I thank you so much that this is a successful and prosperous church.
in your way, your time, your season. Give us the healthy understanding of the good pleasure of giving back to you as you have a good pleasure to give to us. May we never think, God forgive us for thinking and believing that you owe us something. And then we just give our way out of it. Lord, I just bless this house. And Lord, I pray that we would decrease so that you can increase. And that Lord, when you increase, we increase properly. I pray strength, stewardship, and wisdom. I pray healthy understandings of your identity and who you are as sons and daughters and that you are a success and prosperous because of who you are. That's my prayer. And I thank you for this church in Jesus' name. Thank you for a great Thanksgiving. I pray for everyone traveling. I pray over your trips, your cars, and your time with your family that you would be slow to speak and quick to listen and zip it when you need to zip it. In Jesus' name, amen.